Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening and welcome to Amplify, a telephone talk show that looks at life from a religious perspective. I'm Father Ron Lingwin, hoping that you have felt the warmth of God's love in your life this day but especially the joy you feel when you share God's love with others. As a way of introducing our topic for the evening, at least partially, um, I'd like to begin our program as we do each week with a story that is based on faith and formed with imagination. The disciples had gathered to spend some quiet time with Jesus, a time for reflection. Jesus was pleased as he looked at them, and he began to pray silently. When he was finished, he stoked the fire that was giving little warmth to their bones. Peter said, Master, I ask you this question. Is the power of evil stronger than the power of good? If it is, why is it? John interjected, what a strange question to ask. Jesus said, no. No, my friends, it is an appropriate question, a good question, a question you must think about before trying to answer it. And so, let us pray together first. The men bowed their heads, and each of them began to pray silently. Then Jesus prayed out loud, I ask that the Heavenly Father give us the wisdom and the words to answer the question Peter has asked. Then Jesus sighed again and said, The power of evil is strong. It is with us each and every day of our life on this earth. We see it, and yet many times we choose to ignore it and pretend we are not tempted by it. To others, evil seems like a golden light, and they are drawn to it to drink deeply from its power. But after they have taken from this cup of evil in any form, it is bitter to their lips, and it darkens their souls. It eats at their being like leprosy their bodies, their minds, their souls. Peter got up slowly and said, You scare me, Master, you scare me. Jesus nodded and said, You should be frightened. Again, Jesus began to stoke the fire and said, Fire gives us warmth. Is this not so? The men all shook their heads in agreement. Jesus continued, But if you place your hand in the fire, what will happen? They looked at one another and answered, It will burn you. Yes, said Jesus, it burns, it hurts. But it does not hurt your neighbor unless he too puts his hand in the fire. Do you understand? The men nodded 
they did. Then Jesus said, My friends, my friends, evil is nothing to dismiss. It is all around us, but we do not have to partake of it. We will be tempted by it many times, but we must be strong and fight against it, especially through the use of prayer. Tears began then to form in his eyes. With a great sigh, he said, Pray. My friends, pray for all of those who are tempted by evil, those who have touched evil, and those who are filled with it. A story of faith and imagination. Our guest this evening writes in the introduction to his latest book titled St. Michael the Archangel. There's little doubt that the crisis in the Catholic Church today is both enormous and disturbing. The enduring sex abuse scandal is mind-numbing. Scores of Catholics have left the faith altogether. Division, unrest, violence, and mistreatment of others seem acceptable ways of life. The dictatorship of relativism commands that there is no one objective and absolute truth. The ensuing freedom for all has revealed the depravity and hollowness of our supposed enlightened society. While Pope Francis calls the globalization of indifference causes many of us to shrug when we observe such a landscape, for the indifferent, this is how the world is, as it always was and likely will always be. But from another perspective, in past eras, saints and martyrs have arisen out of similar turmoil to reshape the world and the faith. The only answer strong enough to combat centuries of scandal and turmoil is Jesus Christ. It is only in our pride that we think such an answer is weak and ineffective. Today there are souls who, in the name of Christ, will rise above the heinous scandals of sex abuse and moral corruption, unbelief and ridicule, to renew the faith. Even in her darkest hours, the Church never fails to manifest the Eucharistic Lord at every Mass on every day throughout the world. The Church has a trove of inspiration to fortify her faithful through each day's struggles. Christ also sends His Blessed Mother and the saints to remind us we are not alone. He also sends his archangels, ready and willing to do his will. There is one angel in particular, primed for crises and battles. We know him as St. Michael. Our guest this evening, who is the author of uh, these words, is James Day. He's a writer, filmmaker, and television production manager for EWTN. Uh, he has produced several festival screen short films, one of which, The Passion of Veronica, a dystopian thriller set in the near future where Catholicism is outlawed, was nominated for Best Short Film at the Vatican's Mirabile Dictu Film Festival in 2014. He currently manages EWTN's, that's the Eternal a Word Network, in Orange County, in Orange County, which produces original content in Spanish and English, he is also the author of two previous books: one on Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, Pope Benedict, and A Place for Christ Forever: Become Becoming Christ's Cathedral. 
with a foreword by Cardinal Robert Serra. He has a book in development on Catholicism and Hollywood's Golden Age and is currently researching the history of the Shroud of Turin. James Day, welcome to Amplify. Good evening, Father Ron. Thank you so much for having me. It's a true honor to be be with you this evening. Oh, so great to have you. Uh, uh, this is, would be one of my favorite topics, of course, St. Michael the Archangel. I love talking uh, about him. And and the next book that you're, you're rewriting would be uh, another one that I'm very interested in, is The Shroud of Turin, which in the early days of my program, I was, and we're talking about 40 years ago, uh, when it was first coming to uh, uh, popular interest, is one that certainly, when that's written, put me on the list. I want to be there. But let's begin, let's begin with St. Michael. Do you have a personal devotion to St. Michael, or what is it that motivated you to write this book? I absolutely do have a personal devotion to St. Michael, uh, for he is the, uh, the patron, the namesake of my uh, childhood parish uh, in the Diocese of Cleveland, not too far from you. Uh, and it's called St. Michael Church, and it's, uh, it's in a small town called Independence, Ohio, about eight miles south of Cleveland. And it was there where I was baptized and received Holy Communion and First Confession and Confirmation. And there's an adjacent school, St. Michael's, uh, grade school, where I went from first through eighth grade. But, you know, it wasn't really until, you know, I'm 38 now, you know, so mm-hmm. quite a long time between, between that experience. Uh, my mom is still, a, is still a parishioner there at St. Michael's, but um, I didn't realize, I guess, the impact uh, that time period, that church, and that saint left on me until, uh, you know, with mature eyes, started to look, look on life and look at, look at the life of the faith and realize how much I saw that life through the lens of St. Michael. And it was in the last couple of years, as you mentioned, uh, you read so beautifully, thank you, that part of that introduction mentions, you know, the crises and the scandal and the corruption that we've been facing. Who emerges out of that, um, as he always has, is St. Michael. And it just was sort of a, 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 I guess, a light bulb moment that said, well, wait a minute, what if, why can't we just synthesize St. Michael into a book and I'll give it a shot? And, uh, and I was really motivated by my connection uh, with St. Michael because I saw through through him through the lens of the lens of faith, you know, particularly the struggle between good and evil, right and wrong. Uh, the Catholic imagination was really uh, fueled by by his image, by his imagery, by his character. But he was such a hero. He is a hero, you know, in, in both Jewish and Christian tradition. Um, that, that really said something to young to young boys like myself. It was a great way to identify with saints and with the church. And I really wanted to give back here mm-hmm. years later. And, and that, so that's really the genesis for the book. And um, I, you, I went to the internet, and as I've talked about you in our phone conversation, to read uh, two uh, things you've written in the Catholic World Report from Bukowski to Benedict and Secularism's Moonshot. Doctrine and Resurrection. I don't want to get into them. I want to stay with the book, but two things, uh, just if I were to pull a sentence uh, in terms of why we might be talking about St. Michael tonight, you say in one, the most harrowing effect is the palpable absence of God in the world. Amplify on that just a little bit. I would love to, and and thanks for for pulling that, because uh, I think that really is at the core of... um our existence 
in, in terms of who we are, uh, the great philosophical questions, you know, who we are, where are we going, where do we want to be? I'm not sure we're asking those questions anymore. And if and if we are, it's it's not necessarily with a with a Christian perspective. And I speak. I know this, that that's very general. But when I when I say that, I, I think of people, my peers. I think of myself, even you know, uh, raised in the faith, and um, how uh, how uh, we've we've gone away from that. How uh, the church calendar doesn't inform us as, as it used to. Uh, you know how uh, traditions have been lost. How uh, the communion of communion of saints, and you think about the great. Um, treasure trove of, of our faith is, has vanished uh, because we, we were not so attached to the faith as, as uh, previous generations. Um, a lot of that was done by, by human hand, you know, as you mentioned, in the, as you read in the introduction. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's disturbing because, you know, I don't feel as anchored uh, by the faith. I don't feel as we're communicating or we're in communion with others as we should be by, uh, we can easily from all over the world, we can easily identify with people because we can walk into any church around the world and we would all be experiencing the same uh, moment of grace, which is, you know, the Eucharist. But uh, we're, we're not really connecting that way anymore, and uh, it's, it's, it's really leaving a hollow sense of um, life just is just going the way it's going, and uh, what happens, what happens, you know, what happens, happens. It's, you know, that relativism idea that I'm sure we'll get into as, as we talk oh. further. And uh, you also write in the other article, just pull out one sentence, secularism is nothing more than an attempt to remake Christianity's understanding about man, God, and uh, the world. And uh, one of the beautiful quotes that you have in the book is from then in 1976. And back then, even before then, um, one of the most uh, popular uh, personalities on television was Bishop Sheen, and he was saying some of the same things in the same spirit that then Cardinal Karawotia, uh, later Pope John Paul II, St. Pope of John Paul II, said, we are now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation humanity has gone through. I do not think that wide circles of American society or wide circles of the Christian community realize this fully. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church of the gospel versus the anti-gospel. We must be prepared to undergo great trials in the not-too-distant future, trials that will require us to be ready to give up even our lives, a total gift of self to Christ and for church, Through your prayers and mine, it is possible to alleviate this tribulation, but it is no longer possible to avert it. How many times has the renewal of the church been brought about in blood? It will not be different this time. They're sort of frightening words, much like my first story said when Jesus in a story of faith and imagination talked about the power of evil. And uh, Peter says, boy, you're frightening me, Lord. But you you follow it with these words. Our entire journey with St. Michael throughout Scripture in both the Old and New Testament, from church history and tradition to the sacraments, the Most Holy Eucharist and the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, and in the works of the brave and fearless who found a model of courage in St. Michael, all of it leads toward the end. 
both of one's time on earth and even that of the church, which, as the Catechism reminds us, is only here as a pilgrim on earth. They are, they are in some way frightening words, but we can look at them hopefully um, when we look at someone, certainly we turn our, our lives over in model of Christ, but we, we also have been told something of the, the model of St. Michael the Archangel is going to give to us, haven't we? Uh, we can look at St. Michael's battle with, uh, as, as detailed in Revelation 12, his great battle, um, as something trivial. When do you think that happened? You know, what, what do you, how many angels do you think fought again? How many were, went on Lucifer's side? You know? And you kind of get removed from the reality uh, of the moment, which is, um, um, and then you kind of distance yourself. You say, well, it doesn't really affect me. This is something that happened or will happen, or the end times are something that, that's going to be billions of years from now. But really, we're, you can mention that in that in your beautiful story at the beginning, Faith and Imagination, that we're faced with, a, faced with moments every day. Uh, yes. Every decision, every thought is, is um, a reflection of that battle that Michael embodies so it is frightening um, because uh, it's real, and uh, it, the four last things are, are always there in our in our mind. You know, death right. is inevitable. We, it's not something to be afraid of, though. I mean, look again. If we look at that 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 journey that people have made in, in our in our faith, we can we can find fortification in that. Right, and you talked about the four last things that we're going to be talking uh, about. Um, and certainly, I have great devotion to uh, St. Michael, so much so that a group of people um, put a church, put a, a statue in the downtown church where I was of St. Michael, and what a wonderful gift it was. We, we need to take our first break, uh, Jim and James, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion of your book, St. Michael, the Archangel. Welcome back to uh, Amplify, where I guess this evening is James Day. We're talking about his book, St. Michael the Archangel. Uh, we know that in the past a lot of people have uh, talked about uh, times in the world were going to be very difficult, and uh, that St. Michael the Archangel has a place in this. Uh, as we know, in this struggle, uh, remember, uh, it was Jesus himself who said that he saw uh, Satan fall from heaven like like lightning. And uh, James had a little bit to say about that in the first part of our program. But you also write, James, that the more we are attuned to invisible movements of the sacred, and that would be the, the angels that would be included in that, certainly St. Michael would, the more we are attuned to invisible movements of the sacred, the deeper our faith and prayer life will be. Amplify a little bit on that. Yeah, I come from the, uh, the Ignatian tradition, uh, uh, particularly uh, in this point, and that would be uh, the adage of discernment of spirits. So, you know, really being in touch with uh, the movement of, well, 
the order of things and the movement of things and um, the movement of the spirit. Uh, you know, I don't think one can, and it goes back to what we we're saying about choices and how we're how we're faced with choices every day and how really choices make up who we are as as people and people of faith. So, if we're not in touch with the the movement, the the, the movement of spirits, the discernment of spirits, I, I don't think we're going to be able to really identify or really embody what what God wanted us to do. And the other uh, Ignatian uh, adage that I would attached to that as well is detachment, though. Um, Mm -hmm. It it doesn't mean indifference, but if we're detached and we're able to be as objective, to be as, um, and yet still passionate and and still, uh, you know, still engaged, uh, we can can really turn corners. We can really, um, you know, reach levels that we never thought possible if we're really tapped into what is God trying to tell me in this moment? And it could be through any number of things. Being open to that, to that movement, you know, to that, to that mm-hmm. spirit. It's, it's not just one way. It could be in many ways. We have uh, the sacraments, of course, and, and prayer as a part of the struggle uh, against the forces of darkness. And um, Michael stands against it as a personification of victory, righteousness, and justice, as, as you say. Um, from just from your answer about uh, the invisible movements of the sacred, even though there there are there are signs, why is the liturgy of the Eucharist an event far more than a meal that, along with prayer, can strengthen us in the struggle against evil? Because that is where um, the Eucharistic Lord is manifested. It's where where Christ comes to us. You know, God is near us. Uh, and it's in that, uh, it's in that moment. And I think it's something, uh, again, to go back to our, our themes here seem to, you know, secularism and indifference and relativism and, and, and that sort of thing. We've lost track of what really the liturgy is about. This collapse of time between modern day and the Last Supper. Yes, an event that happened, historically happened, but also an event, you know, cosmologically beyond time and, and, and place. So, uh, and to, to, for that to happen, uh, you know, the, the, the priest is really um, endowed with these wonderful, with this wonderful gift of being able to save, to consecrate the bread and wine, and to bring to bring Christ so um, humble and, and little in, in this in this piece of bread, um, uh, you know, into into our lives. Uh, it's it's almost uh, it's an invitation. You know, we go, can I? Can I be part of you, your life? Can will you be part of me? It's it's, it's a wonderful relationship, and I, think, I you know I mean I don't want to get into the politics of the church politics. I really try to avoid that with, with, with the book with Saint Michael. But um, you look at the last fifty years or so. We, I wonder if we have gotten off track in trying to appeal to um, to the outside and opening up the windows of the church. Have we have we sold ourselves short in what we can offer? Which is not so much a reflection of the world, but uh, a, t- a turning away from what the world offers into something else, and that's climax. It's it's culminating in the Eucharist. And um, as far as um, Saint Michael the Archangel, um, that devotion has remained strong. It's gone up and down. There's no question about it. When we used to pray 
to him at the end of Mass, and then we didn't, and now we're doing that once again. But in Jewish tradition, he had the title of Protector of Israel, and um, someone that they looked to. And of course, the power of evil is as destructive in our time, you write, as it ever has been. Uh, When you look at the reputation of the church as the world's moral authority has practically evaporated. So some people believe that evil has actually infiltrated the church, don't they? Yes, that's a that's a that's a kind of a, a, a popular uh, theme right now. I think we have to be wary of again trivializing things uh, or sensationalizing things. Again, you know, evil is never going to go away, but we have to have triumph, the, the tr- cross triumphs at the end. Um, and and uh, Michael Michael's presence, you know, reminds us that uh, of that of that ongoing battle, and also, but uh, you know, also not to not be afraid to admit that yes, you know, there has been there has been flaws and faults that, that we've experienced. We've all had, and, and you know this. I mean, we've all had to go endure the pain uh, of of what we have entrusted ourselves and family and friends too we've given ourselves over to the to the life of the life of the faith only to to have been betrayed in some way on reflection of of our the scandals that we've endured in the last uh, particularly in the last 20 years it's not unlike the scandal of uh, the scandal of the passion the scandal of betrayal of, uh, the, the judas kiss peter's denial um that you know that sort of thing um, and I, I find it, you know, I thank you for, for quoting uh, the line there where, where Christ says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. It really stirred me uh, to, in, in comfort that even through these denials and betrayals that, that Christ endured on earth, Michael, uh, who, who is not mentioned, you know, at all, you know, specifically uh, in, in the Gospels, you know, saw this, experienced this as, as this angelic being who knew of the Holy Face, who knew of the triune God well before uh, time, you know, as we know it, began. So, and, 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 and he was the one who, kind of like, you know, Mary and, 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 the, and the, the John, you know, stood at the cross, although we don't see him. Uh, but, we, but, you know, he is there, he hovers, because, well, why, how do we know this? Well, we know this because of the references in the liturgy. Uh, specifically in the extraordinary form of how of how Michael is is present at, at mass, especially in the requiem masses. Um, yes. So it is a comforting it's a comforting thing. It's not just this this grand battle against Satan that took place at some other time. It's it's really in our in our hearts uh, day in and day out. And uh, you point out in your book that Lucifer has not retired from the angelic battles, and as a matter of fact, every soul has a battlefield, don't we? Yes, and um, you know, I, I, there, there was this, there's a vision. I believe it was Anne, Anne Catherine Emmerich's vision that uh, detail a little bit of the book. Who has this wonderful um, vision that, that Mike, Michael takes her on this this vision, and uh, she sees the uh, these angels, the bad angels, the Lucifer's minions, you know, if you will, henchmen, underlings, uh, barking at each other, uh, lazy, given given over to sloth. You know, they're they're not they're not uh, as active. Um, you know, they're they're just sort of there, kind of hanging around, and and uh, it just it's just an uncomfortable uh, image of just how 
sin kind of creeps into one's life, and before you know it, you're given over to its habits. Um, even though uh, and, you know you're sort of lurking in, in the shadows, and, and that's perfectly where where Satan, where where Lucifer dwells, and, and really kind of takes hold. So it's always a, it's, it's a different when night falls. You know, it, it becomes a different sort of feel out, out there, and, and you can see where things happen. You know, the, the squealing of the tires, you know, the rounding of the corner, the the boredom of the, of the teenagers. You know, always happens at night. And, and that's really where we have to be careful, where, you know, that, that darkness of the soul, because Satan can really uh, find a way to, to tap into it and, and, and seize hold of it. And uh, within your book, we go over all of the figures, but you point out about how um, the church has changed uh, from within, tax from within, um, that uh, in, in 1965, I was ordained in 66, there were some uh, 59,000 priests in the country. And just two years ago, the number was 37,000. And, and religious sisters went from uh, from 180,000 in 1965 to 40, 46, basically. So there is some truth to what Pope St. Paul VI said in 1972, that he believed the smoke of Satan had entered the church, as we were just talking about. And um, it has been said that the church is going to remain small and will have to start pretty much all over again because of demonic infiltration. What does the name Michael mean? How should we understand his name? It means who is like God. And there's a question mark there. It's a question. It's not who is like God, Michael. Who? And I remember this. This goes back to uh, you know my my youth there at St. Michael's. A good friend uh, was in my, my, Mike Stack. I think I can say his name. I don't, I don't think he'll mind. But you know it, it was uh, you know one of the September 29th feast days of St. Michael, which is a big kind of celebration day for the school. Blue and gold day come comes into the comes out of the bus and sort of puffing out his chest and he's like my name's my name is who is like god you know and uh but you think about it when you you know as you get older it's it's actually um it's a question who who is like god you know and there really there is no one there is in this uh the, the answer you can take from there both from psalms also saint augustine uh puts it uh beautifully as well he says there's who is god but thee o lord you know, and so mm-hmm. it, it's really Michael not talking about himself, but um, but he's but it's, it's a reflection of, of of the Godhead, and it's also a counter to Lucifer's nonserviam, you know, the Latin of you know his his rebellion, his cry of rebellion, "I will not serve," is countered by Saint Michael's own name, which is "Who is like God?" There is only one God, and it's you, and I will defend your, your name and honor uh, against Lucifer. And so um, tell us a little bit about uh, the angels in, in general. How are we to understand the movements of the supernatural that we talked a little bit about uh, earlier? Um, because you, you write that even amid our most modern emphasis on physical experience, Angels remain popular in our culture as fascinating, mystical creatures. Angelology is still a subject of enduring interest across age groups, cultures, and religions. How are we to understand the movements of the 
a supernatural. We've already addressed that a little bit. But you, as you write, as purely spiritual creatures, angels have intelligence and will. They are personal and immortal creatures, surpassing in perfection all visible creatures, as the splendor of their glory bears witness. Christ is the center of the angelic world. They are his angels, aren't they? That's right. So the angels were created. Uh, you know, they're not. They're not. Uh, you know, they're not born and of a certain time frame. I mean, they were. They're. They are. But they're not. But they're not divine. I mean, they. They are created beings. Soul, whose sole purpose is is to is to serve is to serve God. Uh, you know, and to, to to minister to Him and to do His will. To do His will, and, and so that's why we have guardian angels. Um, that's why we have different choirs of angels. Um, there's and what's interesting about the archangel choir is that it's it's one of the lower hierarchy. So you have you know supreme hierarchy, and this is all based. We we know these hierarchies based from Scripture. If you if you pull um, if, you know putting it all together forms this these, this tetrarch of hierarchy. So you have the supreme hierarchy, seraphim, cherubim, thrones, the middle hierarchy of um, dominions, authorities, powers. Lower hierarchy, principalities, archangels, and angels, and look at that. So you have archangels all the way down there at the bottom. If you're look, looking at it as a hierarchical structure, so Michael really emerged out of obscurity to uh, to do to to defend to defend the God to you know to defend the Godhead to to take down Lucifer who said I will not serve. Angel angelology is a way of uh, you know. There's people who I who I know who are part of the faith, but they have this uh, deep devotion to angels. And I'm thinking we can bridge the, the difference between the faith and, and those outside the faith by by speaking of angels, and speaking of them as um, very intelligent beings who, are, who, are, who see, who are there mm-hmm. with us all the time. And I don't think we're paying that much attention to, to angels. I think we, we see them as the, uh, the paintings of uh, the, uh, you know, the, the... Yes. The Sherbet Babe, right? And again, we're kind of losing to think it's silly, but um, it's far from it. I and mean, it's it's the, the, the patristics really got into uh, to to the history of angels and the, the meaning of them, the theology of angels. And you write that uh, Michael's duty to God was dictated by loyalty and humility, and that in order to understand Michael's place in salvation history, we must also understand Lucifer's. One and one and the, it's kind of a yin and a yin and the yang idea. Um, as you look, you know, we know from the uh, from images of, from Raphael through to uh, our own stained glass windows of Saint Michael. There's Lucifer is not far away. He's always pinned under you know the the commanding foot of uh, foot of Michael sword sword at the ready. Um, he, he's withering. He's still alive. It's not. It's not a murderous scene. It's just. It's one of uh, the. It's almost like the scales of justice. You know. We all know that if you see the book, you know that the, our Sunday visitor did a wonderful cover of this image we're speaking of now. It's you know Michael's sword at the ready with shield, and he's he's pinning Lucifer down. But it's one of. Um, 
it's not one of domination over I am more powerful than you. It's almost a, it is a, it's, it's, it's just a, the humility is triumphing over darkness. That's really what I, I hope this image kind of conveys and what I really wanted to convey in the book as well. Right, and you point out that it's the seven deadly sins that motivated Lucifer uh, to turn from God because Lucifer sought to be like God. And so um, it becomes a question of pride, according to some scholars, uh, that compels Lucifer to reject and turn against the Heavenly Father. And you write that while Lucifer's rebellion is, is infamous, the reasons for it are less understood. Why is that? It's just we don't, we've not received the revelation? I... No, I, I, well, maybe I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't want to. Maybe not. I don't know if I wanted to hesitate. I hesitate to go into into that into that area. Although that that is possible in terms of kind of um, has it been revealed? But I, I look at it more as um, from a, a perspective of human fault and failure. The motivation for things sometimes is very murky. Yes, and I think we can understand by looking at the seven deadly sins. Um, we can understand. We can pinpoint mm -hmm. uh, tr you know, triggers, if you will, and pride really is the one um, that that drove that drove Lucifer. It drives Lucifer, drives the presence of evil. I think, but you know, also it's it's this is where it gets complicated. The lesser known was it just pride though, or was there was there. Uh, a, a true desire within Lucifer to thinking that he actually could do could do some good in in this way. He was beloved. He was mm -hmm. a beloved figure, you know, a beloved angel. Um, so that's where I say it's, it's lesser known, you know. And I, and I, I hope I'm not, you know, I'm creating some kind of her, heretical no, comment by no, kind I'm of still... wondering about, about Lucifer's thought. But but you know what I mean. I think it's because things are so complex because. Decisions are sometimes so complex. You, you do the wrong thing, ultimately, but it's sometimes it's not coming from a bad place. And some people might be surprised to learn that the war in heaven continues to rage today. Exactly. Yes, exactly. It, it, it continues to rage today because uh, even though the uh, the war has ultimately been you know, the cross triumphs, ultimately we are we are still experiencing this war as, yes. as you know as you mentioned as you quoted earlier as the, the pilgrim church on earth so there's the church triumphant there's the you know but we're mm -hmm. the church militant you know, still still soldiering through and we're giving we're given a test basically who are you going to serve you know and that's that's really the the battle right. of that michael faced the whole thing about uh, each of us has free will. Our guest this evening is James Day, where the title of his book is uh, St. Michael, the Archangel. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the rise of devotion to uh, St. Michael, and we'll be back. <laughs> 